Here are just some of the stories we'll be covering on tonight's edition of the WBAU Evening Report. Richard Ravitch resigns as chairman of the MTA. A 229-year tradition is broken at Columbia. Two American Marines killed in Lebanon, and the space shuttle Challenger gets ready for tomorrow's blast-off. Those stories, plus sports and the latest island weather forecast coming up on the WBAU Evening Report with myself, Jeffrey Payne, and Doug Miles, next. You're listening to the informative alternative. WBAU, Garden City. This is the WBAU Evening Report, Long Island's informative alternative. Good evening, I'm Jeffrey Payne. I'm Doug Miles, and along with UPI's Greg Haber at the Sports Desk and Paul Westfielding in tonight's business report, we'll update for you all the latest information for Monday, August 29th, 1983. At the top of the news this evening, MTA Chairman Richard Ravage said today he will step down as head of the nation's largest mass transit system to return to the private sector and a more normal family life. In a letter to Governor, Governor Mario Cuomo, Ravage said his resignation will be effective October the 31st or as soon as a successor is found. During Ravitch's tenure, he earned a reputation as a tough but fair bargainer. Months after taking office in 1979, Ravitch faced his first crisis when the Long Island Railroad was shut down by a two-week strike. Then in April of 1980, city bus and subway workers walked off the job for 12 days. The latest strike occurred last spring when a strike derailed Metro North for six weeks. He also found himself involved in the drawn-out negotiations in Albany to get more money for mass transit. When the money was not forthcoming, he would push for fare hikes. The city subway fare, for example, went up twice from 50 cents to the current 75 cents in the nearly four years that Ravitch has been in office. Ridership also fell off as conditions worsened, and Ravitch maintained that the only way to get people to use mass transit was to improve the long-neglected system. To that end, Ravitch was a major force in developing a multi-billion dollar capital improvement program and getting the necessary funding. 357 young women descended upon Columbia University today to break a 229-year tradition and begin Ivy League life at the previously all-male Columbia College. The college on the Upper West Side of Manhattan is the last bastion of the Ivy League to turn co-educational. Harvard and Princeton opened their doors to females as much as a decade ago. Classes were scheduled to begin September the 6th. University officials said Barnard College, the women's unit of the university, will remain all-female. The 357 women comprise 45% of the freshman class, with 443 men enrolled in their first year. Police say a woman suspected of throwing her two-year-old girl off a retaining wall onto the busy Henry Hudson Parkway jumped to her death Monday from a West Village apartment building. Police say 21-year-old Tammy Choice left from the building this morning. Mayor Ed Koch has nominated a 35-year-old Chinese-American to become a criminal court judge. Patrick Mulhern, counsel to the mayor, said officials believe that Randall Eng, inspector general of the city correction department, would become the first Chinese-American to sit on the bench in the city if the nomination is approved. Eng of Queens was born in Canton, China, and was brought to the United States when he was six months old. He previously served as an assistant district attorney in Queens. A public hearing on the nomination will be conducted September the 14th. A 23-year-old Amtrak worker who feared he might never walk again because his leg was nearly severed in a railroad accident four months ago triumphantly hobbled out of Montefiore Hospital today. Alan King leaned on a walker and chuckled as he took 36 halting steps from the hospital lobby to a van that would take him home. Four months ago, it was doubtful the burly bearded railroad worker would even have his left leg. King's physical strength combined with his enthusiastic outlook helped speed his progress during painful therapy. 
Consolidated Edison says its Indian Point Unit 2 nuclear power plant was out of service for a day and a half this weekend because a boiler feed pump regulator malfunctioned. Spokesman Bowen Lindgren said the plant automatically shut down Saturday night when the pump regulator caused a drop in pressure in water being returned to the heat exchangers, which are called steam generators. A blind woman sued a lower Manhattan restaurant Monday for $2.5 million for refusing to serve her because she was accompanied by a guide dog. The suit by 37-year-old Peggy Eason in a state Supreme Court in Manhattan is against 34 Park Row Luncheonette Incorporated. Ms. Eason, a dictaphone typist for the Internal Revenue Service, charged that when she entered the restaurant on August 16th with her dog and a friend, she was denied service and forced to leave by an unnamed employee. Her court papers said the suit is based on sections of executive law and the civil rights law which she contended make it unlawful to deny serving a person who is blind or accompanied by a guide dog. Wall Street turns in a mixed performance today, with most investors apparently away from the market on vacation. The Dow Industrials rose slightly after being lower most of the day, closing near 1,195. But the pace of trade was light, near 53 million shares. Gary Collins will again be the MC of the Miss America pageant. Brian McFadden touches upon that story as well as several others in tonight's People in the News. Gloria Loring has renewed her contract to star for three additional years in the daytime soap opera Days of Our Lives. Ms. Loring's manager says the contract is in the six figures and will provide his client with greater visibility and more freedom to pursue other show business activities. For the second straight year, Gary Collins will be master of ceremonies of the Miss America pageant in Atlantic City. Suzanne Summers, who recently headlined the Moulin Rouge show in Las Vegas, has signed an exclusive agreement with Columbia Pictures Television as an actress and producer. The new contract calls for Miss Summers to create and develop new TV projects. Casting has been completed for the new Doonesbury musical by Gary Trudeau, which goes into rehearsal September 6th. One of the named performers in the cast is Kate Burton, Richard Burton's daughter. Robert Mitchum, currently busy filming a new movie on location in Pennsylvania, says when people tell him he has sex appeal, he pays little attention. Mitchum says he just has a lot of middle-aged female fans who view him like a brand-name soup or detergent that they buy in the supermarket. They've grown up with the Mitchum brand name, and he says they're going to stick with it. That's People in the News. I'm Brian McFadden. This is the WBAU Evening Report, Long Island's informative alternative. I'm Jeffrey Payne. And I'm Doug Miles. Two uh, Marines were killed in Lebanon. We'll have that story, plus sports and the latest island weather forecast. As the WBAU Evening Report continues right after this brief timeout, WBAU News Time is coming up upon 6.07. Now the Bob and Ray Network presents The Adventures of Dylan Foxworth, Private Eye. Uh, excuse me, but that's a mistake in your script there. Actually, I'm a private eye doctor. Says here you unravel mysteries. Mysteries in the field of optical medicine, yes. For example, there's a hereditary eye disease called RP, which blinds thousands of people, and we don't know what causes it or how to treat it. Well, how do you solve a thing like that? Call in your snitches, I suppose. No, it takes research, supported by a lot of generous people. Well, I can slip you a sawbuck here. Oh, thanks. But you'd probably rather send it directly to the RP Foundation. That way it's tax deductible. Oh, you gumshoes know all the angles. That's the National RP Foundation, Box 5773, Baltimore, Maryland, 21208. I got it. Well, that wraps up another exciting case of Dylan Foxworth, Private Eye. <laughs> Doctor. I, Doctor, yes. 
Good morning. I'm Mike Cassano, and here's the news. Wait a second. Hold on, Mike. But, Carrie, I've got a practice. I've returned to do the news on the Wednesday morning wake-up call. Hey, that's great. Now the WBAU morning show has even more to offer. Me, Carrie Briner, playing the kind of music you can wake up with. And me, Mike Cassano, back at the news desk, keeping folks informed. The best way to start your day is the Wednesday morning wake-up call, 7 to 9 a.m. On 90.3 FM WBAU. It's better, better than, than ever. Two U.S. Marines were killed and eight others wounded in Lebanon today. The Marine casualties came during day-long fighting between the Lebanese Army and Muslim militias in and around Beirut. A Marine Corps spokesman in Washington says the mortar fire that killed those two Marines apparently was aimed at the Lebanese Army but fell short of its target. For that reason, Captain Jay Farrar declines to say the two Marines died in action. He says the rounds were probably fired by a Muslim faction. Meanwhile, President Reagan met with his top Mideast aides in Santa Barbara, California to discuss the Marine killings in Lebanon. Correspondent Gene Gibbons is traveling with the president and filed this report. U.S. peacekeeping troops will remain in Lebanon despite the flare-up in fighting in which two Marines were killed. Presidential Press Secretary Larry Speaks says the Marines are an essential element of U.S. policy there, a policy which has as its goal the withdrawal of all foreign forces from Lebanon and the restoration of that country's national sovereignty. Speaks says the president was awakened by National Security Advisor William Clark and informed of the Marine losses at 1.55 a.m. Pacific Coast time, an hour and six minutes after the attack occurred. Mr. Reagan is staying abreast of the situation at his mountaintop ranch and has ordered a crisis group headed by Vice President Bush to monitor the situation in Washington. Gene Gibbons with the president in Santa Barbara. Israeli Prime Minister Begin's closest political allies are urging him not to resign. But most influential Israeli media are treating Begin's announcement yesterday as a near certainty. Begin held a three-hour meeting with his closest aides this morning. Israel Radio says one minister bluntly told Begin that he could not step down while the nation's troops are still in Lebanon. Meanwhile, as Edmund Smith tells us, there are reports out of Tel Aviv that the resignation of Prime Minister Begin would not lead to immediate elections. At this point, Israeli Prime Minister Menachem Begin has several options. He can hand in to President Chaim Herzog the resignation he mentioned on Sunday. If he does that, the provisions of the Israeli constitution swing into action, and Begin must stay in office as a caretaker prime minister until either new elections can be held or another political leader is able to form a government. That would take two months at least. But if Begin is determined to leave office right away, you could follow the precedent set by then Prime Minister Yitzhak Rabin in 1977 and take a leave of absence. And that would allow him to appoint a caretaker prime minister to rule the country in his absence. Or, of course, Begin can allow himself to be persuaded by his political allies and coalition partners and not resign at all. Edwin Smith, Tel Aviv. In Beirut, members of the Lebanese government conferred with U.S. envoy Robert McFarlane for talks on the current fighting. Scott McLeod has more. President Amin Jamal's cabinet met throughout the day in emergency session in efforts to calm the situation and avert a further dramatic slide to civil war. President Reagan's special Middle East envoy, Robert McFarlane, arrived from London and rushed to the presidential palace for urgent talks with Jamal. It was not known how McFarlane will get involved in cooling the Lebanese crisis, if he will at all. Jamal's cabinet issued no statements despite several hours of meetings as artillery shells fell outside in the suburb of Babda, about seven miles from Beirut. Scott McLeod, Beirut. In another meeting of top government leaders, Secretary of State George Shultz is scheduled to sit down with Russia's Foreign Minister Andrei Gromyko in Madrid. Jim Anderson reports. 
Secretary of State George Shultz will meet his Soviet counterpart, Andrei Gromyko, in Madrid in early September. The two, as well as 32 other foreign ministers, have been invited by the Spanish government to mark the end of the three-year-long Madrid conference on reviewing the Helsinki Agreement. It had been hoped that a final document would be signed by the foreign ministers, but a holdout by the government of Malta will prevent a formal signing. Schultz decided to accept the invitation anyway, and will use the occasion for his first meeting with Gromyko in about one year. The chilly relations between Moscow and Washington have eased a bit in the past month, including the signing of a new grain sale agreement, and there are pressing arms control matters to discuss. This is Jim Anderson at the State Department. NASA is predicting clear skies for tomorrow's space shuttle blast-off, a mission that will send the first American black astronaut, Guy Bluford, into orbit. Dr. Sally Ride, who was the first American woman astronaut, said she has no particular advice for Bluford. Bill Small is at the Kennedy Space Center and has this report. This space shuttle mission is carrying the first black American astronaut into orbit, mission specialist Guy Bluford. The last shuttle mission carried the first American woman astronaut, Dr. Sally Ride. Sally Ride has been through the gauntlet of press coverage and public attention, and in a UPI interview was asked if she has any advice for Guy Bluford. Guy and I have talked a little bit, but uh, I don't think that I've really learned anything that, that would give him much help. We both concluded that, that neither of us knew how to prepare and that I, I didn't really have any advice that I could give him. Sally Ride is waiting for NASA to announce a new list of crew assignments. and says she expects to see more women astronauts assigned to crews over the next year and a half or so and hopes soon to be flying again herself. Bill Small at the Kennedy Space Center. Four armed hijackers aboard an Air France jetliner at Tehran Airport still threaten to blow up the plane with 15 hostages aboard unless France meets their demands. French TV quoted Tehran Radio as saying the hijackers have given France another 20 hours, apparently tomorrow afternoon, to satisfy their demands. The Arabic-speaking gunmen, armed with grenades, commandeered the plane Saturday to demand the release of prisoners from French jails. Iranian TV says they may be Iraqis opposed to the government of Saddam Hussein. The jetliner has stood on a runway at Maribad Airport, surrounded by Iranian police for more than 24 hours. An airline spokesman says the hijackers are also threatening to take off for an unknown destination today if their demands are not met. A Salvadoran government representative involved in today's upcoming talks with leftist guerrillas says the parlay will deal with a future encounter between the guerrillas and El Salvador's president. A guerrilla leader who insists his forces are winning El Salvador's civil war says today's meetings in Bogota, Colombia is aimed at finding a political solution to the civil war. The government of Chad today rejected a proposal that it negotiate directly with the Libyan-backed rebels who control most of northern Chad. The rebel proposal was to negotiate under the auspices of the Organization of African unity. A Chadian spokesman denies a rebel, a rebel government exists. For the second time in a week, a large chunk of ice fell from the sky just outside London. No, it wasn't Michael Cassano, our station manager here at WBAU, but Jim Colazar has more. Aviation officials are trying to figure out the source of a suitcase-sized block of ice that crashed to the ground just missing a three-year-old girl. The girl's mother said she was out playing in her backyard on a clear day. Suddenly, the mother heard a swishing noise. She thought it was a helicopter, but looked up to see the falling block of ice. She screamed, thinking it would hit her daughter, but says it missed by about two feet and shattered to pieces. The incident happened about 40 miles northwest of London. Civil aviation authorities took ice samples from the yard for tests. Last Wednesday, a chunk of ice the size of a TV set ripped a hole in the steel roof of a nearby gas station. Aviation authorities said then that that ice had fallen from an aircraft because of freak weather conditions. Jim Colasar, London. In tonight's business report, Paul Westfilling tells us why the nation's merchandise trade deficit widened in July.
The perception on the part of foreign investors that U.S. interest rates will continue to go higher makes the U.S. dollar more attractive to foreign investors, but it also makes U.S. exports more expensive abroad. That is the main reason exports from the U.S. fell 2.2% in July after rising 9% in June when interest rates were heading downward. A strong dollar also means that foreign goods like TV sets are less expensive, and that's why the nation's merchandise trade gap widened in July. Steve Dobson is an economist with San Francisco's Bank of America. There's two main causes. One is this very high value of the dollar, and the second is you're having an extremely vigorous domestic recovery. People are spending more on everything, including imported goods, and as they spend more, their incomes rise, uh, imports go up, and the high value of the dollar is hurting our exports. For the first seven months of the year, the trade gap came in at just under $34 billion, about twice the red ink reported a year ago. Paul Westfeeling, New York. This is the WBAU Evening Report, Long Island's informative alternative. I'm Jeffrey Payne. And I'm Doug Miles. Today was roster cutdown day in the NFL. UPI's Greg Haber will have that story and the rest of the day in sports. The WBAU Evening Report will continue right after this brief timeout. WBAU News Time is 617. Watching children learn and grow is only half the fun of being a parent or teacher. If you're not taking an active part in your children's education, you're missing an opportunity to make a special contribution. Helping with homework is one way. Playing word games or doing crossword puzzles together is another. Write for a free brochure of simple, practical, and fun tips on helping your children at home. Public education works best when everybody gets involved. Write tips, National Education Association, Washington, D.C., 20036. Every Thursday night from 8 to 10, we'll put you in the mood for the swingin'est music in town. Hi, Doug Miles here, your host each Thursday for two hours of the sweetest sounds you'll ever hear. We go back to an era when the orchestras of the Dorsey Brothers, Glenn Miller and the King of Swing, Benny Goodman, were at the top of the charts. You'll also be regaled by some of the great vocalists of the past and present, Ella Fitzgerald, Mel Torme, and Frank Sinatra, just to name a few. Join me for the Big Band Sound Thursday nights at 8 right here on 90.3 FM WBAU, the Long Island Sound of Swing. WBAU Sports Time is 619. A lot of name players cut from NFL squads today. UPI's Greg Haber has that story and more. Greg Haber will have that as soon as we uh, get him ready. Meanwhile, rookie coach Bill Parcells of the Giants has named Scott Bruner as the starting quarterback for his club today. That a bit of a surprise. Parcells did not rule out the possibility of spelling Bruner with Phil Simms as early as the regular season opener against the L.A. Rams if Bruner is ineffective. The Giants also cut eight players, including Joe Danello, the club's regular kicker since 1976, and number three draft pick tight end Jamie Williams. 
Danilo lost his job to Ali Haji Sheik of Michigan. And now I believe here's Greg Haber with sports. They call him the Turk. This is Greg Haber. This is the final time around for many pro football players, and today was the final cutdown day. Some big names felt the axe. The Dallas Cowboys waved 11-year cornerback Benny Barnes. The Denver Broncos released 11-year tight end and former All-Pro Riley Odoms. The Atlanta Falcons released cornerback Mike Spivey. The Buffalo Bills veteran safety Tommy Myers obtained earlier in the month from the Saints. The Bengals defensive back Mike Fuller, offensive lineman Glenn Bushnock, and defensive lineman Mike St. Clair. The Patriots running back Vegas Ferguson. The Giants their longtime kicker Joe Danello and recently acquired running back Billy Campfield. The Redskins cut running back Clarence Harmon and quarterback Tom Owen. And the Dolphins traded punter Tom Orez to the 49ers for a draft choice. And it's the opening of the 1983 college football season. UPI's Bill Rosinski reports. The college football season gets underway tonight at the Meadowlands in New Jersey when Penn State battles Nebraska in the first kickoff classic. Penn State under Joe Paterno will begin defense of their national championship against the team pick number one by UPI in the preseason poll. Paterno will start junior Doug Strang at quarterback, but Dan Lonergan will also see action. I'm not usually a two-quarterback man, but I think in this particular case, both kids are so well prepared for this football game, I really want to, I want to make sure that Danny gets to play. The Cornhuskers will be led by quarterback Turner Gill. I think we're well prepared for this game and for the season, and, you know, we're ready to go out and play and, and just do the best we can. The Huskers are favored by six points. This is Bill Rosinski in East Rutherford, New Jersey. In America's Cup action, Liberty scored a victory over Courageous, while Australia, too, rotted victory 83 in the opening round of the final series to determine a foreign challenger. Thomas Hearns, WBC super welterweight title defense, has been called off due to an injury suffered by Hearns. His right hand has been placed in a cast. Three doubleheaders are getting started on a busy Monday in baseball. Boston at Toronto, the Dodgers at New York, and the Padres at Philadelphia. The Giants' Jeff Leonard, National League Player of the Week. That's sports from United Press International. This is Greg Haber. And for more sports, Doug and myself will handle that, that issue. Milwaukee Brewers manager Harvey Keene says Pete Vukovic will make his 1983 debut against Seattle Wednesday night. The 1982 Cy Young Award winner has been sidelined since mid-March with a torn rotator cuff. It's amazing. Milwaukee very much in the thick of things in the American League East, and they've been playing without Pete Vukovic and also Raleigh Fingers. Turning over to tennis tomorrow, the U.S. Open Tennis Championships will begin in uh, Flushing Meadows. The tournament has been dominated by a select few over recent years. Names like Jimmy Connors, John McEnroe, Chris Everett Lloyd, and Tracy Austin. The players who have been dominating over the last five years or so. But when this year's tra championships get underway, there's a good possibility a pair of new names will appear on the role of champions. Martina Navratilova, with only one loss in 60 matches this year, is a strong favorite to capture the women's singles. And Ivan Lendl of Czechoslovakia could give McEnroe or Connors a tussle for the men's crown. Navratilova has been sensational over the last two years, but has yet to win the Open. However, Navratilova says she's been scheduling herself a lot better this year and doesn't feel any loopholes have been left out. This year's Open carries a $2 million purse with a $120,000 paycheck for each of the singles champions. Doug Miles, who do you see as winners in the men's and women's divisions? Well, Martina Navratilova, the one big tournament she has never won is the U.S. Open. Uh, she mentioned she scheduled herself a lot better. Uh, she claims in years past that this being the last tournament or one of the last tournaments of the tour schedule, she's tired out. Who knows? It may be just an excuse. Uh, she always seems to have a jinx in the U.S. Open, losing last year to her doubles partner, Pam Shriver. But uh, she's been pretty awesome this year. Only, what, one loss in 60 matches. She has to be the favorite. But I think Chris Everett Lloyd is going to beat her. The last time they met, Chris Everett Lloyd took a set for Martina. And that's quite an accomplishment recently. I think Everett Lloyd's going to figure out her game and beat her this year. 
in the men's division, you have to favor McEnroe and Connors. The fast surface seems to favor their type of play. Ivan Lendl not known for his expertise on the hard court. I think John McEnroe will beat Devon Lendl this year should they meet in the finals. I think uh, McEnroe has found out how to beat Devon Lendl earlier. Uh, this year and the end of last year, Lendl seemed to have McEnroe's number, but McEnroe has found out a way to beat Lendl, and I think McEnroe will be the champion this year. I don't think Connors will. Doug Miles saying John McEnroe in the men's. Chris Everett Lloyd in the women's. We'll have to wait and see. And if it does not turn out to be the case, I'm sure many people will let Doug know about it. We'll be back with more news right after this. Adelphi Sports and WBAU, a winning combination. Each fall, Panther Soccer takes root at Styles Field. WBAU is there, covering every volley, trap, and goal as Bob Montgomery's Division I squad takes on the nation's best. The modern volleys, the shot, goal! Panther men's basketball action dominates Woodruff Hall during the winter months as Jim Flanagan's team battles for the playoffs. Donald, one bounce inside the pod, turnaround, jump side, and gets it! Spring brings double excitement as Ron Davies Baseball Club perennial Division II powerhouses gun for another Knickerbocker championship. Finally, Paul Darty's lacrosse team challenges for the national championship. I better go in the depth of this bat. For the best in college sports, there's only one place to set your dial. That's 90.3 FM WBAU, the home of Adelphi Panther Sports. This is Ray Hillerton. Please join me for an hour of riotous living on the Ray Hillerton Breakfast Club. Sundays from 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. on 90.3 FM WBAU. Each week we feature guests that will entertain you as well as inform you. That's the Ray Hillerton Breakfast Club, Sundays at 8, right here on 90.3 FM WBAU, Adelphi University's radio station. Thank you. This is Marty Wilson of WHLI and WEVD. You know, I've been doing jazz programs for a lot of years, and for the best sounds of jazz fusion, listen to Jim Doig, the host of Jazz Fusion, for a Tuesday evening right here on Long Island's FM Alternative, WBAU Garden City. In other news this evening, most folks would not like living next to a steel mill or toxic waste dump. What about a bunch of beehives? The Baltimore County, Maryland Council is considering a measure to limit how close the hives may be located to residential property. Neighbors say that bees get yellow gunk all over everything. Beekeepers say the measure could ruin them. A transportation department survey shows that the nationwide crackdown on drunk drivers is tougher in, on paper than in fact. The 15-month review of the nation's drunk driving laws also found that the tougher statutes are increasing burdens on jails, judges, and taxpayers. It says that in some cases, drunk drivers had to make reservations months in advance for limited jail space to serve their terms. The government of Colombia has told E.T. to go home. Authorities banned the cuddly space creature as an undesirable alien for violating anti-austerity laws. Although E.T. dolls have been selling briskly since the Steven Spielberg film opened in Colombia last December, the toy was banned as a luxury, along with American bird seed, toy trains, and pina coladas. Start saving your quarters. This is the big month, the month when Atari has promised to release the coin-operated video game version of Star Wars. The company says it spent millions bringing Luke, Princess Leia, and Darth Vader to your local arcade. Atari says the features extra sharp graphics and actual music and dialogue from the movie. 
Elvis Presley's estate says it wants the money from a concert the late pop idol never gave. The show was scheduled for New York's Nassau County Coliseum on August the 22nd, 1977, six days after Presley died. Devoted fans, thousands of them, kept their tickets instead of turning them in for refunds. As a result, the county still holds more than $80,000 from the concert that never was. And the Presley estate is suing to get its cut. You may have forgotten about Pac-Man, but Hollywood hasn't. The little yellow video game creature will soon be the star of a $10 million blockbuster movie. The L.A. firm that purchased the film rights to Pac-Man promises to turn the hungry fellow into a modern superhero.